I think it will come down to how that urgency is positioned. If it's a, you have to have this now, that's diluted. You know what I mean? But if there's need to solve a problem that a product can, can help with, that's a reason to keep the conversation going, right? If not in the immediacy. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Derek Jenkins. Derek is head of marketing at Owler. And in our conversation today, we talk about optimizing sales interactions in virtual spaces. We dive into whether that is different than optimizing sales interactions in physical spaces. And we explore what sellers should be optimizing sales interactions for. We also dig into the four core desired outcomes of every sales interaction, just deepening your connection, deepening your discovery, deepening your understanding, and deepening the value you bring in order to help the buyer make progress toward making their decision. So we get into all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Derek, I wanna remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's jump into it with Derek. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy, how are you? Doing well, that's a little tired because I flew across country this morning, so. So yeah, yeah, and actually that wasn't the problem as much as my my uh, <laughs> my wife got the new COVID booster shot yesterday, and had a very strong, the good news, very strong immune reaction to it, which is great. <laughs> Bad news is she was up shivering all night. <laughs> yeah, like, I remember getting the booster, and I was like, okay, I gotta get up at four to get to the airport anyway, and it's one o'clock, one thirty, and you're still shivering and. So, yeah, a little bleary-eyed today, but uh, other than okay. that, fine. Sounds good. I'll go easy on you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. That's all good. I like that when guests say that. So it uh, takes the pressure off me. All right, so tell us about you and what you do. Yeah, so tell about me. Head of marketing yeah. for Owler. I lead all of marketing for Owler. Um, I've been with Owler for the last three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um. No, so exciting. for people who don't know what Owler does, explain what mm-hmm. Owler does. Yeah, Owler is a business intelligence uh, product. Uh, we track private and company data on over 15 million businesses. Um, Owler Max is our new tool that we launched in April, which is a sales intelligence product designed to help people um, prospect more efficiently, uh, save time researching companies because we have all that information for you. And it really helps them have better conversations with context. Um, when you sign up to Aller Max, it's a team product. It's a team solution. Um, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's, it's curated. You get to curate business news and firmographic data based off of the needs of your, your own needs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as a seller, I, I was using Aller before I joined the company to, sure. to look for other companies, you know, as I, as I say in some of our marketing tier right. materials, like mirror companies that, you know, um, look like your best Have customer. these attributes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So a great prospecting tool. And that's what we've designed it for, um, for sales teams and for sales professionals, really. Yeah. I mean, I like the approach, which is sort of, you know, higher level. Hey, we're prospecting for accounts, right? Mm-hmm. And here are accounts that you know, we should be going after. And yeah, to save yourself the trouble of setting up a bazillion Google alerts or something like that. I mean, Owler will serve you up the, the information you want on those companies. Correct. And allow you to set up alerts, what we call instant mm-hmm. insights, which are effectively sales triggers 
mm-hmm. you know, free, free design things such as, you know, funding rounds, IPOs, acquisitions, product launches, management changes, right. awards, and you get all that information in real time sent to you via an email or through one of our many integrations, right? So mm-hmm. again, just giving you all this information so you have, in, you know, a lot of intel and in, to reach out to customers you already have, find new ones, start building relationships. You know, you hear all these stories about people struggling with prospecting and I don't know what to say. But we're, <laughs> we're, we're telling you what to talk about. We're giving you information so the conversation doesn't have to be just about you. It could be about them, be about their customers, their competitors, etc. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that... that <laughs> I was just laughing because it's like, it's why, given all the... Res- I mean, let's just take the... F- not only free resources, things like LinkedIn and so on and Google just mm-hmm. yeah, at a base, but that let alone something like Owler, which is not very expensive on a per person basis is yeah, there's just no excuse anymore for not showing up prepared yet. Yeah. I've been several books and research reports in the last mm-hmm. couple of years that I've sort of keep pinned to, Top of things when I speak in groups and so on is is yeah eighty percent of C level decision makers find no value in their interactions with salespeople. Uh, another one in a book uh, called Insight Led Selling a survey of again similar audience was that seventy seven percent reported that sellers only show up prepared to talk about their products, not their mm. problems. Right, which is which is. As a seller, if you are a seller, you know, you're doing yourself a massive disservice, right? Um, well, what what keeps people? Mass- I mean, that was sort of the bigger question. You've been in sales for a while, and I've been in it forever. <laughs> and it's still, for me, sort of one of these enduring mysteries. Is like, okay, this is not a new tactic, right? <laughs> Especially over the last uh, 20 years with the rise of LinkedIn and more tools such as yours and, and other you know, lead sources. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? Yeah, why would you even dream of picking up the phone, and calling somebody without spending research. a little bit of time to research them? Can I say I've been guilty of it? I think early oh, in my I'm career, sure I definitely yeah. was. But I learned pretty quickly that it's not about me; it's about them. You know, and this was before I had access to information. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I would, I would. Um, well, what were you, you selling know, at the time? How'd you get started? At that time, it was, you know, advertising sales. I worked in the TV business, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. at the very least, I could guesstimate information about their competitors um, or ask a colleague for some information. And just, you know, before I even started planting seeds about my, my business or my solution, try to figure out a little bit about what they're all about. And if not, if I didn't know it, start asking questions about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that well, was I mean, what better way to get your buyer talking than to start asking them questions that they can probably answer. Questions about themselves. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why, I say, that's why it's still like this enduring mystery to me is, and I think, I mean, some of it has to be how we're training. Trained. Sales. I think so. I mean, I, I, yes. but I don't know of any sales training you know, package or system or methodology. That certainly. Yeah. I'm sure there may be some that I'm not aware of, but that, Sort of say, yeah, here's what you want to do is you want to pitch, right? This is, you know, you go into a call. Yeah. Lead off with your elevator pitch. Maybe <laughs> but it's like, 
seems hard to believe that that's what you're doing these days. I, I agree. Um, I mean, I was taught later on to lead with insights, you know, some type of data point, some type of information that you can ascertain from something. Lead, lead with that more than about who you are. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about the emails we get these days. You I mean, People pitch you still and you just see it's all about them. Yeah. On they, email. Yeah, they get they get. Well, increasingly, you know, LinkedIn inbox and. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I am, I don't know, I was going to say stunned, but I guess that's, that's probably too strong because at this point, I'm not surprised by anything really, but is, yeah, people in their sequences uh, and they're automating, you know, sequences on, on LinkedIn as well is, is like just how oh, sort of irate they get that you're not responding. <laughs> it's just like, listen, I, I, I get the spray and pray. I get the spray and pray approach, right? You know, you, you hope one bites, but I mean, one of the things I always enjoyed when I was selling full time was the creativity yes. behind some of the emails. I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. You know what I mean? And then you have tools like sales loft and Alpha that can track the open rates and say, okay, that, that worked. Let me try this joke again. You know what I mean? Let me try mm-hmm. this layup differently. I found that was to be a bit more interesting and enticing. Not that I was a natural sales writer, but I honed in on my craft because of it and using not to plug Aller tools like Aller did help. You know what I mean? To give right. me something to, to link in an email or talk about reference um, to keep my future customer excited well so it raises an interesting topic because read i think a, a blog for on the owler site i don't some in your organization probably wrote it but talking about uh, personalization in mm-hmm. outreach and personalization really isn't personal and i mean yeah we can we can put in a first name and uh yeah we can reference a couple things that are unique to that person that we pull out a record somewhere but the fact is is yeah, we all get the emails every day, and yes, they are personalized, but they're not personal in any, by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah. and it seems like this, I think it's too early to say it's a trend, but I mean, I, somebody told me a couple weeks ago about a major company that's told their sales force, you can't use sequences anymore. Mm-hmm. You're going to send an email. You got to write that email. You got to make it personal. Because mm-hmm. it works. And, it works, but there's a distinction between personalization and being personal. And I think this mm-hmm. is, is something that people have to wrap their heads around the fact that, yeah, maybe it's just, yeah, yeah, we have the ability to do this personalization. That's my worst, least favorite saying. I, I keep saying, how many oxymorons can you fit in one <laughs> sentence, which is mask personalization at scale? At um, scale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, how wrong is that in so many dimensions? is it's not working. I mean, people say, oh, well, sure, we're, some companies were growing, we're scaling and so on. But then for me, you always boil it back down to win rates. And you look at win rates and you think, yeah, it's not really working. So it's, it's time it's, to try something different. Why would you not, right? What's that, what's that thing, the definition of insanity or lunacy is repeating the same thing, expecting a different outcome, right? You know, so yeah. something like yeah. that, right? I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing that incorrectly. I tend to do no, that. No, no, that's, that's the general sense of it, yeah. Right. So yeah, definitely, definitely try something different. I mean, I'm reading more about, um, you know, email outreach, the, the stats out there. I don't have the exact number, Andy, of, you know, how it needs to be short and sweet, like under 50 words. 
doesn't have to yeah. be these long drawn out paragraphs. I mean, I, I, I was telling my sales guys and, um, you know, and even some other friends of mine who are selling sales is, you know, if you can't read it on your phone, like someone gets your email and they can't see it, right. They can't get the gist of what you're trying to say, or, you know, the mm-hmm. introduction to who you are on that mm-hmm. screen, you may have lost them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if, there, if an email that I get sent is not overly important, I'm saving it for later. And it might be when I'm sitting down, scrolling through my phone. So it needs to be, you know, digestible on that oh, platform, yeah. in my opinion. No, um, I agree. But I, I sort of thinking about, you said you save it for later. It's like, really? But do you? I mean, for me, it's like, <laughs> if, I, I, if I don't <laughs> capture my attention enough to do take action on it right away, rarely no, get back I, to it. I mean, save it for later in terms of when I'm working throughout the day, I get emails that are from a colleague or someone that, that requires an immediate response, you know yeah. what I mean? Or from my boss or someone, something right. else. Right. But something that is, um, you know, less important, I will save for later. Yeah. Take a look at it for sure. But as I was saying is I'm probably going to look at it on my phone then when I have some downtime. Well, and one of the, and I've read this in blogs and, you know, LinkedIn stuff and so on is, is people always want sort of uh, good opening questions or good approaches. And, you know, in the context of, I think in context of what, what Owler does is, I mean, there's a line you see all the time is, you know, seller says, you know, hey, Mr. Prospect, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people like you, a lot of executives like you, and they, they say they have these challenges, you know, you know, ABC or whatever. So, yeah. Are those important to you? And and it's like, and I just saw something this morning as, as I was reading those, that, that was almost the exact quote. And I'm like, okay, that's not very personal. I mean, I mean, what you'd want to put in there is say, yeah, I talked to a lot of people like you, they have these challenges. Hey, I recently read that, uh, you know, you're experiencing something like this too. Did I, did I see that right in that article about, you know, yada, da, 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 X, Y, Z? You know, would you be open to hearing about how we've worked with companies some of those years? Then you've suddenly made it personal and you just took a little bit of research to be able to do that. And I think then you really stand out. I agree. I think also some of those emails that get your attention are the ones that create, they call FOMO. You know what I mm. mean? That you're missing out on something or you may not have known about something. You know, did you, did you see this happened? Yeah, well, how I mean, it's, this, how would this affect you? It's like, oh wow, no, I, I didn't know that. That's that's thank you, thank you. You just gave me something. But there was something, and I I wish I kept it. Saying that uh, I don't know if it was in the context of email marketing specifically or marketing in general was saying that the FOMO approach is losing traction. You know, it's like a tactic that at least for the time being has been generally overdone, and people are sort of. People are so over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know about that. I'm well, not sure if I fully agree with that. Well, why not? Why not? I think yeah. because we have so much. I think the reason why, why the one of the reasons why we have so much news out there is to keep you informed, right? So you're 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 staying ahead. You're staying on top of trend, and that that is a form of not missing out. So I don't think it's ever going to go away. Um, the, as a as a trend to attract people, um, no one wants to be the last to know something. I don't. So I don't, I, yeah, I, don't I look at it so. a little bit differently though. As I think, as I look at it from the perspective that, 
even mainstream news is views that its primary role is more so, I think, to keep you informed is to scare you. And, (laughs) And I think that similarly with Facebook and Instagram and many of the other uh, platforms out there, even LinkedIn to a large degree. Yeah, everybody's hugely successful. Everybody's, you know, uh, it's like, I think people are starting to get, start to get over that, right? That they understand that, yeah, they, I think part of the reason you got so much engagement and perhaps still do in certain sectors on Instagram and Facebook is, is that FOMO, right? I want to hear more about what I'm missing out. But then I think, I don't, just my personal opinion is people sort of gotten burned out on that to some degree. Mm-hmm. And, I wonder why the, that whether that was really what was behind that because I can't remember the article about the uh, FOMO sort of losing some of its potency. Is that people like, still yeah, like, out on it? I'm open to reading that. You send that my way. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. Because um, I sort of feel that. I mean, I not that I was huge on any of the those social platforms other than LinkedIn, but you know, LinkedIn, it's like, yeah, how many times can you read about somebody that's yeah, I made a, I made a million dollars this first year of doing this, this, this. And it's like, yeah, yeah I don't miss, I don't miss that. No, yeah. that's not, that's not, but that's all for me. That it, for me. That's all, that was all FOMO related. Right. It's like, uh, that was the attraction. Hey, I've done this. You can do this too. And yeah. if you're not doing it, everybody else is going to. So, like, so then now we're talking about how you, how you're positioning things, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> positioning within FOMO could probably be its own chapters. Like, big time you know there's fear mongering and there's creating an appetite and um some dignified sense of urgency <laughs> around something yeah but it's an interesting point though is is because there's a lot of conflicting opinions about do sellers really sellers not marketers but do sellers really create a sense of urgency do they or can they yeah, let's address both of them. Because I, I, I think in the balance, no, they don't. And they, when they can, it's generally due to sort of a false set of incentives for the buyer to take action. Potent- false, potentially, false sense, false sense of urgency, meaning, but with false, incentives, false sense of urgency. Yeah, I mean, urgency. discounts, I discounts, blah 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 blah. Yeah, I get that. Incentivize this, that to, to get people into the funnel, so to speak. Yeah, I get that. Um, it's like once I, people are engaged, they aren't. This is this is yeah. <laughs> I, talked I like where you're going. I feel like about it. It. People once a buyer's engaged and buyers you know past that initial point of contact, they're in. They've making decisions to invest their time and attention in exploring a solution with you or with another salesperson, by definition, that's, that's urgency right there. They're not, they don't have time to waste. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not casually checking something out. I mean, sure. There are exceptions people do, but in the main, the people we're dealing with business world, you know, got a limited amount of time, just like sellers. Yeah. And this idea that you're coming in and, and creating the sense of urgency for them yeah, I just think people are deluding themselves when they say that. I, I think it will come down to how that urgency is positioned. You know what I mean? If it's if it's a you have to have this now, yes, that's that's, that's deluded. You know what I mean? But if there's if there's need to solve a problem, 
that a product can can help with, that's that's a reason to keep the conversation going, right? Sure, but, but don't you think the immediacy. But don't you think the buyer has that urgency? That's why they're talking to a salesperson. I think they can they have the urgency. Have, or, or, there's, there's no need to talk to a salesperson. Or it's also general interest, right? It's not necessarily urgent, but there's interest. I mean, I think there's curiosity. Less, I think there's a lot less of that these days. I mean, you can say to satisfy a lot of your curiosity just by going to someone's website or looking at you know G two reviews or other user review sites or I mean, if, and certainly all the research saying is yeah, hey, buyers want to do as much of the self service as possible, which I understand because when they do engage with sellers, they're actually slowing things down. They're not speeding things up because they can't help them make progress toward making a decision. That's one way to look at it. I mean, think about it. How does, uh, how does, yeah, we talk about this idea of, you know, how do we, how do we build like stronger relationships with, with buyers? I mean, how do you optimize, you know, a sales touch? It's like, well, from the buyer's perspective, what are they trying to accomplish? When a buyer sets out to, to make a decision, to make a change at some point in their business, what they're saying is, look, I've, I'm going to put together, you know, one or more people in a group. We're going to, our job is we're going to try to quickly gather and make sense of the information that we need to make an informed decision with the least investment of our time and attention possible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing those all the time. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's so, so when you look at their a buyer's job that from that perspective is, yeah, there's, there's sort of inherent urgency to it because right. and I'm, that, not, I'm not going to consume everybody's time and attention if we're not actually serious about making a decision. Valid point. I guess in that, when you think about it, it's the, the buyer's kind of really setting a timetable more than anyone, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I think this idea, this idea that sellers control, you know, sellers control their buyers. I mean, you can Google that and get you know, hundreds of millions of returns, but <laughs> I, I learned pretty early in my, my career <laughs> starting decades ago. It's like, yeah. We don't control the buyers. No, I mean you control buyers' behaviors. I said so. These these incentives that mm-hmm. you know they're not stupid. They may choose to take you up on some of them, but don't kid <laughs> yourself that that uh, somehow you affected their sense of urgency. Fair enough. Yeah, I can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's this gets back to the first point we were talking to is this this idea that there's sort of these uh, in sales we still operate with these now I call them mass delusions about what's really taking place and why. Hmm. I mean, that we still have people think, yeah, my job is to go out and I'm going to pitch. Go pitch. <laughs> I'm going to pitch before I understand. You know, I write in my latest book, yeah, that's that's death to the connection. Right it's there. foolish, yeah. Yeah, it's, if you're trying to build trust and credibility with someone, sure, come pitch before you understand what's really, what I the mean, challenges are. There's a line I always speak about with our team, which is your aim is to be a, you know, trusted advisor, not just another vendor. You know, yeah. you, you want to be a trusted advisor, not just another vendor. Right. And so interestingly, in one of those same studies I referred to earlier, uh, it's in this book called Insight Led Selling, uh, the author, co-authors surveyed a large number of decision makers and sales leaders. And what's interesting is that I think the number was only 19% of, of sales leaders believe that their salespeople are trusted advisors. And I was sitting there going, 
Isn't that your job to ensure that they are? I mean, if you're not responsible for that, if you're not responsible for, yeah, if you consider the product is the buying experience with the seller, you know, that the buyer has, if you're not responsible for creating this positive buying experience, who is? I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's one of the reasons why I love the the tie-in with marketing and sales too. You know what I mean? I I converse with the sales team a lot to find out how they're playing our product. You know what I mean? The whole it mm-hmm. goes back to the, the whole branding thing comes together. You know what I mean? If you're if you're if that buyer's having a negative experience with you from the sales perspective, it diminishes the whole the brand diminishes everything. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you're not being that trusted advisor. They're walk they're walking away thinking this product, this brand, no. It's one thing if it's not a good fit, fine. But if you're railroading me, <laughs> it's not a great experience at all, right? Before I even buy your product, you know? Which, so that trusted, that trusted advisor versus being a vendor is is crucial, is important. Well, yeah. So let's, let's take a step back. And you mentioned this before is, is right now about you know, the buying experience. That That's paramount, right? You got to be able to create a positive buying experience as a seller. Yeah, I challenge sales leaders and say, okay, well, when's the last time you talked to your buyers about what their experience has been with your sellers? I like that. I mean, when was similarly when you're, yeah, I, I look at, at, and this is increasingly so, is that buyers have a job to be done mm-hmm. to make a decision. Let's quickly gather, make sense of the information they need to make it informed decision with the least investment of their time, attention, and resources possible. So they have this job they need to get done. They get people from the out throughout the organization brought together. So in the buying committee, uh, it's taken away from the work they should be doing. They basically hire salespeople to help them get that job done. Mm-hmm. So Great. does anybody ever ask the buyers what qualities they need in a salesperson? I mean, like a little temperature check kind of thing. Not temperature check. What are the attributes you need from this person to help you get your job done? I mean, if you're out, if you're hiring somebody to help you do a job, if you're hiring a contractor, you'd want to look at their qualifications, what you know, previous things they had done. Um, you know, you'd want to see a little bit of a track record. Maybe you don't think our buyers want that as well. I, I do. You know, you mentioned G two reviews when something you said prior, and it made me think mm-hmm. about that. You know, sometimes you see G two reviews and you see comments about the experience they have with the seller, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. every now and then you see that. And I think it's such a, it's a nice, it's a positive thing to see. Oh, you know, it was a great experience. They walked me through the product. And, um, I love mm-hmm. when I see comments like that, you know, that's when, that's when it was like, you know, we as in the sales community, we pat ourselves on the back. It's like job well done product sold. And they remembered you, you know, they're literally taking time to write about you and it does come up. It happens. Well, um, so I, there's, Multiple studies that have been done that that you know, Challenger talks about it. Uh, uh, there's another book that published a couple of years ago uh, called Decision Intelligence Selling that referred to research that found this as well. Is that the number one factor buyers uh, factor into decision making? And I think Challenger used 53% of the buyer's decision based upon the buyer's experience with the seller. Yeah. So it's it's really the predominant, oftentimes predominant factor that uh, buyers take into account. And it's like, okay, so as sellers, are we getting any feedback at all from the buyer about what 
we as sellers could be doing differently. Because I think that when lots of companies do their win-loss analysis, they're really focused on product features, uh, mm-hmm. pricing, mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, there's research on this firm in Australia called Trinity Perspectives that's conducted <laughs> well over a thousand of these type of interviews. And they summarize their data and the findings of nine reasons why you win, nine reasons why you lose deals. Of the nine reasons you win, this is coming from enterprise decision makers, right? Not once has product mentioned any of the nine reasons. What is this called again? Where was this? Can you send me this as well? I like this. Uh, I can send just some slides to summarize it. Yeah, I like to see that. It's just slides from, from the company. But it's like, yeah. Yeah. The reasons, so I labeled those in, in my book, Sell Without Selling Out, you're mm-hmm. selling out or you're selling in, is, yeah, the reasons you lose are the nine reasons over half were just pure selling out. You know, you as an individual putting your own interest out of the buyers, uh, not connecting with them the way you should, not building the emotional connections. Uh, seven of the nine reasons why you win big deals are directly from my book is selling in. That's why, you mm. know, the, the guy that runs that that company, you know, connected with me after reading my book. It's like, wow, great overlay here, right? So the reason yeah. people are making decisions have to do with the sellers, how they're experiencing the sellers. And I think this is becoming increasingly prevalent because in a lot of product categories, products are virtually identical. Mm-hmm. I mean, we hear this all the time. We're not new to the world of sales, which is they're buying you, right? We, 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 we get that. Oh, um, sure. But there's a huge body of people, especially in the SaaS world, that think, Oh, oh yeah. no, it's about, it's about my process. It's you know, about it's about, yeah. Yeah. It's about the process. we got this process down and it's like, yeah. And you're sitting there with your low win rates and you think the process is doing a great job. No. I mean, look at, let, let's look at something like customer success or when after you, you know, the, the land and expand, it starts mm-hmm. with that first connection, that first relationship. If that wasn't there, you can't grow the business. It's harder to it's harder to grow the business. I would say that's how you can. I don't believe you can't in anything, but like you, it's harder to. Well, I, I think mean, that, I'm a big proponent of relationship building at all touch points of the process. Well, and that's that's the point, right? Is is yeah, I think that when customer success gets involved, that's a new relationship that's being created. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that actually. They can't really build on another person's relationship with another person. I mean, you may get a benefit no, out because you're associated, but you've got to go through the work and build that relationship yourself. Correct. But their their first touch point with your company is that previous person. So again, you want the whole brand right. experience to be very, very pleasant before you hand it off to customer success, in my opinion. Um, but any yeah. other opinion I mentioned, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not, well, if it hadn't been, you'd probably <laughs> not get the deal That's likely to have gone the order, right? So, <laughs> That's uh, true. Again, not that it doesn't happen, but it's yeah. it's it's so important. It's like yeah, every time you're asking the customer to invest some of their time and attention in you, what do they expect to get in return? They expect to get something of value, right? There's, there's got to be a reason for them to invest their time and attention. And you know, this whole it's, idea of the the attention economy we we yeah. hear about and yeah, the guy that coined the term, Herbert Simon, who's one of my uh, intellectual heroes, I guess, um, you know, came up with this idea. And he I, he published this white paper, I think, back in 1971, Herbert Simon, where he really sort of accurately forecasts this information age, right? This is, you know, Internet was a gleam in 
Al Gore's eye at that point. And, um, and he said, look, a time's coming where we're going to have so many sources of attention, sources of information contending for any, he called a slice of our attention, right? Yeah. That how do we make a decision where to allocate our slices of attention? And his conclusion was, at least in the business world, is you, it's based on a, a return on investment, right? Yeah. So I'm making, like I'm that. investing that time. Am I going to earn a return on it? Yeah, 100%. I like to read that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you can Google that. You can find that online. I mean, that's, Simon, that's yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Herbert Simon, uh, people don't talk about him enough in this day and age, but I mean, he f- I'm writing his name. Though. I don't think I know his name. I really I don't think I've heard it. Yeah, Nobel Prize winner. I think he was a I think initially at Carnegie Mellon. I think he might have ended up at Caltech. I can't remember specifically, but um, but you know the other thing that another big thing that he came up with is this idea of satisficers and maximizers. He said, you know, people make decisions. They generally, not always, but generally, um, will research to find until they find a solution that satisfies the requirements and suffices to achieve their desired outcomes. And when they do that, they make a decision. And they called they took those words two words together and called it satisficing. Satisficing. And, and the other predominant mode of decision making, even though it's less than, but it can be very situational, is what we call maximizers. People that look at every potential opportunity, every potential alternative until they find one that they can believe they can make the absolute best choice. Hmm. And what he and others who have you know, looked at this have found out is that, yeah, maximizers actually do oftentimes make the best choice, but at what cost? Right? Because the business, is, as her, Simon found, is that most people want to be satisficers, especially in the mm-hmm. business world, right? Is, hey, we've, we looked at... Uh, 10 vendors, we narrowed down to three. Oh, this one's good enough. Now we could spend another six months looking at other vendors, but the marginal gain from that incremental investment of time just isn't there. Right. There's nothing to be substantially better. Right. So let's people, just get on with it. let's just get on with it. Now I experienced this in my career. I was selling really large communication systems. It was like, I didn't really understand until I really, <laughs> almost after I was done reading, I read somebody referred Simon stuff to me. I read it. It's like, Oh, this is what was happening. This is what was happening. Cause I found as if I could help the customer get to this point of, of being able to visualize what success looked like mm-hmm. sooner mm-hmm. when there are certain milestones I have to achieve to get there. But if I could do that, then I found that, yeah, I was winning a lot of deals in a way that uh, oftentimes early on surprised me because I was like, oh, they're making a decision much faster than I thought they were going to make the decision. But they'd made the decision that was good enough and happens to get going. Yeah. All the time. Now, there are people can be both satisficers and maximizers. We may be satisficers at work, buying a piece of software. If we're going to have open heart surgery, we might be maximizers, right? <laughs> Probably, yes. We want to get. <laughs> second, third opinions and so on. Um, Absolutely. Right. But if we're buying a car, satisficers. Yeah. Right. I mean, pre pandemic. Well, that, that's a needs assessment too. It's like, how badly do I need this? What's it for? Is it, 
for my well, computer. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like the pre-pandemic, um, the stat I'd seen is that, you know, people visited on average 1.1 dealerships before they made a decision to buy a new mm-hmm. car. So, Pre- yeah. So, yeah, it's more online buying of cars subsequent to yeah. that and so on. Yeah. But, but even that trend notwithstanding, it's like, yeah, people say, no, this is good enough. I mean, these cars are all basically the same, you know, Kia, Honda, Hyundai, you know, different warranties maybe here and there. And so on. But fundamentally, it's all the same. So I like this one. That's good enough. Let's make that decision. It's, it's funny you bring up car buying because I had an experience where it came down to the seller, very mm-hmm. poor sale situation, right? I'll tell you to you. If you looked on my LinkedIn, you see that I lived in England for a while. Mm-hmm. And I moved to the Bay Area. And living in London, I didn't need, I didn't need a car, right? right? Moved to the Bay Area, I needed a car. I had researched the car, the dealership, mm-hmm. spoke with the, someone there, told them when I was coming, you know, like three days after I moved, I need a car. Mm-hmm. Showed up to the dealership for my appointment in an Uber. Mm-hmm. I was going to buy a car that day. Yeah. The salesperson was horrendous. I left in an I left in an Uber. I don't yeah. think I could have laid this up for you any better. Yeah. I called you from another country. I I'm coming in an Uber to buy a car. How could I not leave without a car? Yeah. Well, my buying experience was horrible, right? Horrific. It happens all the time. I, I yeah. couldn't believe it. But it, I mean it's conversely. Yeah, you know, for me, but I've said this on the show before, is you know, over the last handful of years the two best buying experiences i've had have been with the same car salesperson with two cars <laughs> i mean it's like just a pro just, just a, a pro. pro won your Great trust job. won the trust so the first, first, car, first car we leased he did a great job uh yeah it's a painful process even the best of circumstances as you know just yeah all the paperwork blah blah blah, blah. so when we coming in to lease a second car from him i said here's what i want and i said we have to be in and out of the dealership in 45 minutes or less <laughs> <laughs> i mean andy that's equivalent to i came here in an uber yeah i called you from another country we planned yeah. this what could have Besides an earthquake swallowing us up all in the dealership, what could have gone wrong for me to not walk out of there with a car? But this is this it was is relationship. This. It was relationship. It was it was that. But it's also making it about themselves, right? And this is yes. Again, titled my book, "Sell Without Selling Out." Yeah, you know, what is selling out? Well, selling out is when you put your own interests above those of the buyer, and that's what that's what that seller did because they oh, were undoubtedly completely. thinking, "Hey." You know, Derek called me, he wants these things, da, da, da. But I think I've got a better plan for him. I mean, I literally knew the car I wanted. It was, yeah, I know. It was, I know. It was there. I was like, let's do this. Okay, but wow. I thought he could be able to upsell you into something else, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, just sometimes just help <laughs> them get what they want. I mean, I, I walked away thinking, path. I wonder if this person's boss was there and had a chat. And so what happened with that guy? He came in an Uber or why is he leaving in an Uber? What happened here? You know, like, so that, that I'm sorry. That's the way I go back to. It, no, no, that's that's a good one. Yeah, it pays to listen to the buyer. I mean, I, I 
one of my favorite stories listening to salespeople is on a train once going from uh, New York to Boston. And some younger guy gets on the train and in a suit uh, right before the train takes off from the station and plops himself in the row of seats in front of mine, whips out his phone. It was the last day of the month. Uh, he starts, I can always start hearing his conversation with clearly with his, his boss. And <laughs> all the noise, I could hear him say, yeah, but the buyers were just liars. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. Blame it on the buyer. No, it's this is on you, guy. You committed to it. What what didn't you hear? What didn't you understand? What didn't you know about the buyer and their, you know, what they were trying to accomplish and when they were trying to accomplish it by? And you just thought it was all about you. Vendor, trusted advisor. Same reason why you went back to that same car dealership, right? Good experience, good person. We'll go yeah. back. Done. Yeah. Easily done. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe, maybe even do the next, the best thing to close the next deal. Maybe refer someone to them. I have. Yeah. Unfortunately, that dealership, have. unfortunately that dealership went out of business. <laughs> but... But uh, but just just like in you know B two B sales, what's what's better than a referral? Very little. Great product, right. great experience, great team. Yep. We're in. Let's hear it. Yep. Yeah, what was interesting about this guy is he had been a college professor. He had taught at a you know undergraduate business program and made the transition to selling cars in order to make more money. It was really interesting. He was so it's quite good. So. Well, anyway, Derek, well, thank you for joining me today. Um, if people want to learn more about Owler or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so you can easily go to owler.com. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn. Spelled, spelled like the owl. Owl. Like the owl. Yes. O-W-L-E-R.com. Right. Learn more about Owler. You can check out Owler Max there. But you can also find out uh, more about me on LinkedIn. That's the only uh, platform I'm using. All right, Derek, thank you so much. Yeah, great speaking to you, Andy. I enjoyed this. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Derek Jenkins, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.